Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Morning. (laughs) Hey, Franklin, Neil, that was the bomb. I don't know where Neil was, but that was funny. Hey guys, just want to remind you real quick too, um, the address he's given is actually our Encanto site at New Vision. So if you've never been in the Encanto site campus, we want to invite you for the worship night there. Also tonight, guys, we're back on tonight for those that come to evening service online or for those who are here, we have evening service tonight at five o'clock. So we're back on and do it evening after all the holidays and breaks and everything. So I want to invite you to come out as we're studying the book of, of Philippians. Hey guys, we're finishing off the sermon series on discipleship um, today. So if you turn... To your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2. So if you go, if you look at the New Testament, go to where all the T's are. Timothy, Thessalonians, Titus, you know, they're all clumped together there. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 um, this morning as we continue on. My message title this morning is called A Disciple Multiplies Himself. A Disciple Multiplies Himself. We know that in the book of Genesis, it's, it's the book of beginnings. That's what the word Genesis means. It means Beginnings, And we know it was the beginning of creation. And, he, and as he created everything, he, he called it good. And then he created man, and he called it good. And then he created woman, and he called it very good. Okay? And then in that time, after man was created, all was created, he gave man two commands. The first command was to tend to the ground, to care for the field, to, to care for the land. That was the first command. And the second command was this, that he was to be fruitful and multiply. That's that he was to be uh, bearing children as he and his wife Eve became one flesh, became one heart, a husband and wife to, to be multiply and to be fruit bearing. When you come to the New Testament, it talks about being born again or born of the Spirit, right? And in that, we make a covenant commitment to God. We actually have a marriage covenant with God, for God is the groom. And we are the bride in scriptures. And we make this covenant like a marriage covenant. And he gives us, in some ways, in the spiritual sense, to be fruitful and multiply. And what does that mean? We're going to talk about that. What does it mean to be a multiplier this morning? We know that we've been given a great commission in Matthew chapter 28 that we're to go to all nations, right, and make disciples, baptize them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey that all that I command, and I will be with you until the end of the age. That was what we call the Great Commission. He commanded us to be multipliers. He commanded us to be disciplers. He even when he called the disciples said, come follow me, and I want to make you fishers of men. The whole theme of multiplication is found throughout the scriptures. Guys, we're finishing our series on discipleship this morning, and then as a couple of weeks, we'll be launching a new series on unity, as I think we need to speak about that coming up. But this morning, we're looking on discipleship. We've already looked at the cost of discipleship. We've already looked at the disciplines of discipleship, and we've been looking at the application of discipleship. And so my challenge as we close this series is going to be about multiplication, about adding, to be disciple makers, to make it your mission to, to reproduce yourself. Guys, you're no longer called to be on the sidelines. 
It's time to get up, get invested, and make something of yourself. <laughs> okay? Make something of yourself. We're going to be in 2 Timothy this morning. I'm going to read it, starting in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says this, You therefore, my son, be strong in grace, that is, in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, let it not, he is not crowned until, unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Let's pray. Father, have we humbly come before you this morning. And Father, as, as verse 7 says, Lord, give us understanding of all things. Lord, we pray this morning your Holy Spirit would speak because I believe he still speaks today. I pray that we would have ears to hear and that we would receive the teaching and the reading of your word this morning. Lord, I pray that it would challenge us. I pray that it would change us. I, I pray it might even convert us this morning. But I pray this morning that we thank you for your word because there's life that's found in your word. You breathe life through your word and may that word come and bring life to us this morning. So we thank you, we praise you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, the first thing we're talking about being multipliers is we have to understand grace. And so right away in verse 1, it talks about as a disciple is one who is strong in grace. Many of you are all familiar with Billy Graham. Billy Graham was the famous evangelist of the day. He passed away a couple of years ago. He was like 98 years old. One day, Billy Graham was driving through a small town and was going a little above the speed limit, and he got pulled over by the police officer. And the police officer gave him a ticket because he was 10 miles over the speed limit. I know that's a little rough for some of you guys that are speedsters, okay? But he gave him a ticket, and, 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 and Billy Graham at that moment says, I'm guilty. I'm guilty as charged. He goes, what do I need to do? He goes, well, you need to go before the judge. And so he appeared in court before the judge, and he's standing before the judge as he sat there. And then the judge asked, what do you plead? He said, guilty or not guilty? He said, I plead guilty. And then the judge replied, he said this, that will be $10, a dollar for every mile over your speed limit. But then the judge suddenly recognized who it was. He knew the famous minister, but he said, you still violated the law and the fine still must be, needs to be paid. But guess what? I'm going to pay it for you. And he took out $10 and he, he paid the bill. He paid off the, 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 he paid off the bill of violating the law. And Billy Graham was blown away by what he had done. And after he did that, the judge took him out for a steak dinner. And Billy Graham said, this is how God treats repentant sinners. Gracefully. Like the prodigal son who the father waited to receive by grace to receive back. That's what it means by grace. But what Paul, the apostle, the author, writing to young Timothy, this is a pastoral epistle about young ministers, about the body, about how we're called to leave. He's challenging him about being strong in grace. Look at verse 1. It says, you, therefore, my son, talking to Timothy, be strong in grace that it is in Christ Jesus. I want to challenge you, first of all, with this, that 
Christ's grace strengthens us. Christ's grace strengthens us. Okay, right? Paul is speaking to Timothy. He's a, he's, he calls him a son. He's a, he's a son in the faith. He, he took him under, and actually Paul discipled young Timothy as a young man. Timothy's father was not in the picture. He's raised by his grandmother and his mother. And Paul poured his life into him and discipled Timothy and become a, a son in the faith. But now he's laying down to this young Pastor Timothy, who he's kind of developed a protege, he's developed this young man and he's teaching him. He goes, I want to teach you some things about grace. And first of all, you got to be strong in grace. In fact, the ESV version translated, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. What Paul is trying to do, we'll get into a little bit, get a little background, is he's challenging to be strong in grace because as you get older in the faith, as you're growing the faith, there needs to be some strengthening that takes place. You need to be getting stronger. When you were a little kid, you weren't as strong as you are when you get older because you've grown in your age, but you've also grown in strength. The same thing spiritually. If you're one year in the Lord, you might not be as strong. You're still learning. But if you're 30 years in the Lord, you should be a little bit stronger. You should be able to lift, handle and lift up some, some weights, or some challenges. You should be able, able to do that so you'll be the strong in grace and growing in your strength. Because strength should grow in over time because that's called maturity. It's called maturity. Hebrews 10, 36 says this, for you, have, for, you have, for you have need of endurance, so thereafter you have done the will of God, you may receive a promise. Over time, you have to learn endurance. I, I'm going on vacation in a week. I won't be here next Sunday because I'm going to be leaving on vacation. And my son wants to, he, my wife's son wants to go hiking. He said, Dad, you better be, practicing because we're going to do this eight mile hike up to this waterfall in Yosemite. I'm like, dude, eight miles. That, that's, that's far. You know what I mean? I, I walk right from my bedroom to the refrigerator. All right. And so my wife and I, we've been kind of going out to mission trails and hiking back there and trying to, to get stronger, trying to build some endurance, trying to build some, some strength, trying to build some of those things. I have to get ready because he said it's not only eight miles round trip, four miles up, four miles back, but it's like this, like four miles up to the falls and coming back down. I go, wait a minute, and it's going to a 3,000 elevation climb. Like, I don't know if you hike like that, if you've ever done something like that, but I said, we're going to have, we need an oxygen tank. You know what I mean? It's one of those hikes, okay? He goes, oh, no, you can do this, you can do this. Well, let me tell you, endurance is what we need in the ministry, but we need to slowly condition ourselves in the ministry and in our own walk to build, right? But we also know that grace strengthens us, and that strength is, is found in Christ. The might is found in Christ. We talked about how we're strengthened in Christ in Ephesians 6.10. We're in his mighty, almighty power in Ephesians 6.10. But also 2 Timothy 4.17, Paul would later write in the letter to Timothy, but the Lord stood with me, and strengthen me. I like that. There's a relationship between Paul and the Lord. He's, God was present with me and he, he strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me. That I could do and live how he wanted me to live. That God was with me. God is with you this morning to strengthen you. To encourage you. He's beside you. He's walking with you. That's why we call it a journey. That's why we call it a walk. But not only that we are strengthened by grace, let me challenge you with this. Before we can be strong in grace, we have to understand that we have been saved by grace. We have to understand that we've been saved by grace. You can't earn anything in the faith. In order to understand grace, we have to experience his grace. 
And our salvation is all about the grace of God. We didn't save ourselves. God saved us. That was his gift to us. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. In fact, the word grace means unmerited favor, unearned favor. It is a, a gift from God. See, you see God's grace not only saves us, it empowers us to live a life of a faithful obedience. That this gift of life is a gift from God. It's called grace. Grace. But when we understand grace, we know that we're being strengthened by grace. In chapter 2, there's a challenge. I mean, in chapter 1, there's a challenge to chapter 2. Paul the Apostle just talked about how many of Timothy's friends had fallen away, had spoken evil about him, had, had slandered, and a lot of things had been going on. And I'm sure Timothy, as a young man, probably was hurt by it. Have you ever been hurt by slander against you or, or by a friend or by a workmate, by something that's come against you and it's hurt you? And I'm sure Timothy is feeling some hurt here. And Paul's trying to encourage him, hey, you got to be strong in this. you got to put a little tough skin on you, right? That's why he's, he's saying, you therefore my son. That's what he's talking, talking to young Timothy, right? Some of his friends turned his back on him. And grace is needed more than ever when you are hurt by a friend, you need grace. I'm sure that Jesus knew and was hurt by the denial of the disciple Peter. When he denied him three times, I'm sure he felt the pain of that. And yet we read about how God restored him in the end of the Gospel of John. How God was, he was extending grace. He was extending grace. Guys, there's times in our lives that to extend grace is, is difficult. It's, it's hard. But that's the greatest act of love that you can give is to extend grace, right? In fact, the opposite definition of grace, the, the negative side of grace in a bad sense is, is to be headstrong or stubborn or ungracious, right? We can be ungracious people sometimes. And we forget sometimes that God has been gracious to us, but sometimes we're not gracious to others. And that's why God challenged to be gracious. He's been gracious to us. We need to be gracious to others. And we're not to be stubborn-hearted. I know some of you have been wounded, and some of you have been hurt, and, and some of you have been violated. There's a lot of things there. And I don't know how dark it's gone. But grace is the healing ointment for our hearts. Grace. Just like God extended his grace and love to us, we need to extend our grace and love to others. So grace is to be extended to others this morning. We're to be strong in grace like Onesiphorus in chapter one, a brother from Ephesus who sought me out in Rome and cared for me and now refreshes me. Paul's talking about this man who came when I was hurt, locked up and gaffled up in prison in a Roman prison. This man came and visited me, encouraged me and extended grace to me. Part of our life and part of our walk this morning is that we're to be grace-filled servants. We're to be gracious with one another. Is there, is there a place in your life this morning that God has challenged you to be gracious in? He's challenged you to, to toe the line a little bit. He's challenged you this morning to hold your ground. Guys, if you're going to err this morning... I want you to err in the sight of grace. 
If you have to err, err in the side of grace. Because if I've been gracious to you, God's going to be gracious to me. So if I fall one day or you fall and you stumble, I'm, I'm hoping there's grace for that. Because we're all one step away from making a mistake. We're all one step of falling short. And we need God's grace. And we need to be gracious with one another. It reminds me of a story in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 15 to 14. Absalom's kind of caused some trouble. David's still kind of king, but there's a division going on. And he's just taken over for Saul. And all these things are going on. And David's traveling with his mighty men. And as he's traveling through, he comes upon a man named Shemai. Shemai was from the family of Saul. He didn't like David. And as these men were traveling, Shemai sees David and he starts getting rocks. He starts throwing rocks at David. He starts cursing at David. He starts yelling at David. In fact, this upsets his mighty men. And they're like, man, David, just say the word. We'll jump off our, our horses and kill this guy. And David said, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. This is what David says. Let him alone and let him curse. For so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my afflictions and the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. Hey, let it be. If I'm gracious with him, God's going to be gracious with me, right? Sometimes being gracious is us not trying to be revengeful. Sometimes we want revenge for what has happened to us. The Bible says we're to, to, to love with, without hypocrisy. Yes. Ahor what is evil, cling to what is good. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. We pray no one for evil. Have regards for good things in the sight of all men. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That, that, that's being gracious. That's being gracious. And so we're called as multipliers, first of all, is to be gracious to be strong in grace, to grow in grace. Grace is what strengthens us in the faith, that we're saved by grace. These are things that holds everything together to be a, a multiplier of oneself, teaching the principles of grace. Here's the second thing this morning. A disciple multiplies himself in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. We, all, we all went to elementary school, at least it's not this last year. I know some of you were now homeschooled after the COVID. <laughs> But we all, we all went to elementary school and, and we learned about addition and subtraction and multiplication, right? Addition is one thing, multiplication is something else. We know one plus one equals two, two plus two equals four, three plus three equals six, four plus four equals eight. But multiplication is a, is a little bit different, right? One times one equals one and two times two equals four. Three times three equals nine. Four times four equals 16. So it's a little bit different type of math. In the church, there is a mathematical equation that we have been commissioned to do. We are called to a ministry of multiplication, not addition. We want to be a multiplying church, not an attractional church. Uh, and there's a difference. I could put on a big show and put on concerts and put on all those things. And, and you might get a lot of people. We might attract a lot of people. Doesn't mean they're committed to Christ. Doesn't mean they're multipliers. Doesn't mean they're disciples. We get a lot of people in the room. Doesn't mean they're disciples. 
doesn't mean they're followers. We want to be a, a multiplying church. You remember, I don't know if you remember, there's used to have those old folders for the olders and they used to have a, a, a multiplication chart on the middle there and they used to have a football player and a track run. You remember, some of those a little older than us remember how we went to school had those. I don't, now you guys are all on computers now. You guys don't even carry notebooks. Everything's online and everything. But I remember that multiplication chart that you could learn your multiplications on. Let's do the math if we commit ourselves to be a multiplying church. If you effectively disciple 10 people or 10 persons every three years, 10 people every three years, and if those 10 persons will each disciple 10 others every three years, and each one that is discipled over the three-year three period will disciple 10 others over three years, in six years you will have 110 disciple followers. I want you, I want you to catch this. Like, There's one thing for me to uh, do addition if I... If I touch Christina, now she's following me. And I, and I, I touch my daughter, Erica, she's following me. That's a deal. I'm just adding, right? And then I touch Mara. I'm just adding. But what if I touch Christina? Now she joins me, and then she, 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 she touches Jorge. And then she keeps touching people. And Erica, I touch, but then Erica's touching. Well, we're, now, we're multiplying because now all of us are joining together to multiply, and we could probably go through this this sanctuary pretty quick. If I were to do it myself, it'd take me a while to get through. But if I touch you and then you touch somebody and then they're touching somebody and everybody's touching, we'll get through the sanctuary touch pretty quick. That's, that's multiplication. This is, this is the point he's making here. In six years, you would have, to have 110 disciple followers in nine years. And in nine years, you have 11,220. In 12 years, you'll have 123,540. In 15 years, you will have 1,358,940. In three more years, or total of 18 years, it'll be 15,083,220. And in 21 years, in 21 years, you'll have 167,409,240 would have been discipled. In fact, in the first century, in the first century, they thought the population was about 2 million people. Now we're in the, I think it's 7.8 billion now. But there was, back in then, there was 2 million people. If they would have just done that in the first century, they would have almost reached the known world by discipling, by multiplying themselves. And 2 Timothy 2.2 is our commissioning to multiply the church. Look what it says this, verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Spiritual multiplication is generational. Spiritual multiplication is generational. What do I mean that? Look at there. There are four, and just in this one verse here are four generations. Look at this. And the things that you, that's Timothy, have heard from me, that's Paul, among many who is commit to faithful men, that's three, who will be teach others, that's four. Four generations of discipleship going on here in this passage. Jesus modeled the same thing. Jesus wanted multiplication. We see that in the Gospels. If, you, if, you, if you're taking notes, just go to Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus, Jesus is discipling the disciples. Jesus is the first one. He, he picks the 12. That's the second generation. The 12. Peter, James, and John. All that. The second generation. Then you jump to Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Jesus sends out the 12 with the power and authority to proclaim the kingdom. 
So the second generation is being sent out, impacting the third generation for conversion and equipping. He sends them out to minister. Now he's trying to reach the third generation by ministering, by discipling, by teaching. By the time you get to Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, we see that the 70 are sent out, right? So the 70, so now you have the fourth generation being sent out. I mean, the third generation being sent out, impacting the fourth generation. So when the disciples went out, maybe that was the 70 they collected. Now the 70 are going out to pack the next generation. Do you see how it works, guys? We're called to multiply ourselves. We're, we're, we're called to be not only sharing our faith and, and walking with it, but we're also called to investing in one another. Timmy, Timothy was pouring into his, was poured into by his mother and his grandmother and ultimately by Paul growing up. So that he could be a pastor, so he can go minister to others. He could disciple others. And now Paul in the letter is commissioning him to keep up the discipleship mission. Guys, we're seeing a decline in the church today because of the lack of discipleship. We're seeing a decline in the influence by the church because of the lack of discipleship. 96% of all churches have never reproduced themselves. Have never reproduced themselves. So I, I, my challenge, my second challenge to you is this, you got to be committed or commit your multiplication to faithful believers. So if I want to multiply, who am I going to multiply? He gives us the answer to faithful believers. You just don't commit to anyone. That sounds harsh. That sounds harsh. Wait a minute, pastor. Are you being selective? Are you segregating people? Are you being a racist, spiritual racist? Listen. He says, you look for faithful people. Be careful how you and who you commit your time to. You're going to be committing them God's truth. And so they need to be reliable. They need to be trustworthy. And that's who you invest. Even Jesus discerned who he was going to disciple. In fact, if you go all the way to the gospel of John chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, it says this. And there was, Jesus was preaching the kingdom. People were believing. It says this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. Jesus said that. Jesus said, they many believe, but I didn't commit. Later on, it says, because I knew their hearts. Guys, God is looking for some faithful men and women. And we want to pour into that. We want to invest in that. We want to pass on what we've learned into the faith into others. We know that plagiarism is really illegal. When you, write, when you go to college, you're not called to plagiarize, meaning copy other people's work. But I'm going to challenge you this morning to be spiritual plagiarist. <laughs> copy God's word. Give out God's word. Teach God's word. There's nothing new under the sun. What I taught, Paul is saying, what I taught you, Timothy, which was taught to him by Jesus, Galatians chapter 1, what, I taught, what Jesus taught me, I'm teaching you. Timothy, you teach others, okay? Plagiarize me. Copy my words. Cut and paste. Whatever you need to do. My word in the hearts of men. That's what we're passing on. That's what... We're invested in. 
multipliers are missional. They do life with other people. Discipleship isn't just, I know we do one-on-one discipleship here. I know and I want to encourage you to jump on that, how you can learn and grow in the faith and how to have a walk. But it's much more than just a program. It's about the people. We, we, have, a, we have methods by which we, but really it's about investment in the lives of people. Research has shown that, research has shown that 75% of the gospels focused on discipleship training. Jesus spent more time with the few than he did with the masses. 75% he spent with the few rather than the masses. When you look at the stories of the gospels. It's all about people. It's all about investing. It's all about pouring yourself into others. New Vision, we want to be a multiplying church. We want to be, have a multiplying mission. That's why we're launching these campuses. That's why we're having these sites. That's why we're raising up campus pastors. We're, we're one church with multiple campuses. And we need your help to come up and be a part of that mission to multiply yourself. I know we have a, a crew here from up north. I think it's from Modesto, right? Okay. Welcome. Welcome. Okay, and I know they were out in the Canto neighborhood this last week, graffiti paying and doing services and doing a whole bunch of stuff with us, visiting us this weekend with Pastor Pope and the team. Okay. Getting ready to do some work over there. We've been preparing it, preparing the ground out there. Guys, we want to be a multiplying campus. We have Lemon Grove campus we're fixing up now to get ready to eventually launch that campus. My vision and the vision of, of New Vision is to multiply ourselves. We're never, we're never going to be a mega church in the sense you think of a mega church. We're never. Let, let me tell you what I mean by that. I hope that we could grow to maybe three, maybe 500 people here. And then we're going to take some of you and we're going to start another campus. And we have our pastors come and we're going to have run a campus. That's what we're doing in Canto. And then in Lemon Grove. We have six part of the cities we want to do. The other ones is Badia Logan, Linda Vista, North Park, Encanto, City Heights, and Lemon Grove are the six areas we're looking at already. We're going to take some of you and raise you up to be a part of the teams to, to go touch those neighborhoods. We're not going to grow up. We're going to grow out. We're going to be like little anthills in every city, touching every community, be able to minister to every people, and we'll reach more. Though it looked like we're small, we're really big. We're like Gideon with the 300. Gideon destroyed many with 300 men. Imagine three to 500 people serving every community all over. We'll be a mega church. But even Jesus had the 12, but he went down to three, right? Peter, James, and John. He took the 12 and made it smaller. He didn't take the 12 and make it bigger. We're going to do the same thing with, with the church here. We're going to be a multiplying church with a vision to touch and reach out. And eventually, we're going to go south and east and wherever God puts us after that. We already have 50 churches in Ethiopia, some in Uganda. Pastor Philippe and I have already been down into Mexico scouting out the land where God wants us to be in Mexico. We're not only going to just do it here. We're going to do it international. Multiplying ourselves and planting churches that people come to know Jesus. The bigger vision of what we're trying to do here. But lastly, guys, a disciple walks as a multiplier. A disciple walks as a multiplier. We see that in verses three to six. We know that walking's good. I'll find out in a week, <laughs> right? Being in quarantine, many of us sat behind a computer for hours, and sitting for long periods of time isn't healthy. In fact, studies have shown that sitting for hours day after day, week after week, can actually take years off your lifespan. 
Our bodies need to move and need to some activities and exercise. Walking will strengthen you. It will strengthen your heart. It, it benefits you socially, emotionally, and physically. Walking will relieve stress, enhance your sleeping, provide more energy. In the Bible, the Christian life is portrayed as a walk. Adam walked with God. Enoch walked with God and was taken. Moses took a long walk. And when Jesus came on the scene, he invited the disciples to come follow him. And let me paraphrase it. Come walk with me. As we challenged when he said, come follow me. And Jesus establishes for followers. And then he, he had an inner circle of Peter, James, and John. Even Jesus had his little D groups, his devotional groups there. It was from this group that the church would multiply. And Jesus poured himself into them so that they would pour themselves into others. Multiplication will happen in relationship. In fact, many, many describe the disciples as uneducated men who had power and authority, who had been with Jesus. Discipleship is a relational journey. Guys, when we have meals, we're not going to have a meal today. I'm sorry. Here's a challenge for you. Little PSA, public service announcements. We're going to have meals every other, trying to open up every other Sunday. The reason being, guys, is we need to get our kitchen ministry back up and running, our feeding groups back up and running. So if you want to make a meal, help serve in the kitchen, see Greg, because we're going to start doing it so we can start having every Sunday. But right now we're shorthanded. So until we fill some of those spots to help, we'll come. So the more you jump in, the faster we get to eat. Okay? <laughs> so that's a little PSA. So I'm hoping you'll jump in and help in that ministry here. But the challenge Paul is writing here is that we're called to journey with each other and be with each other to grow together. I was, I've been so blessed to do Wednesday night men's ministry at my house with some of the guys here. And we've just been blessed to hang and break meals together and talk and learn about the Lord and iron sharpening iron. I know the women have been doing the same thing with the books. If you're not part of a community here, I'm going to encourage you to join in because you're isolated, you're apart. And the best way the enemy is going to pick you off is by isolation. God, did, God didn't create us to, to be isolated. He created us to be in community, to be in together. And we multiply together, and we grow together, and we learn together. When, would, when did Jesus get attacked the most? At the end of his 40 days of fasting and prayer, when he was most vulnerable, when he was alone. That's when the enemy put the food court press on Jesus. He'll put the food court press on you if you're isolated and alone. So you need to be in community to grow together. So here are three things, guys, I want to show you today. Paul gives three illustrations regarding the mission of a multiplier and how his journey is and how he walks. Number one, a multiplier, a disciple who multiplies himself is courageous. He's courageous. Look at verse three and four. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. A disciple, one who's a multiplier, is on active duty. He's on active duty. But he realized that he's in a battle. That multiplying is, is a spiritual battle. And Paul's encouraging young Timothy about the hardships of discipleship, about the hardships of pouring into the other, about the hardships of ministry. You will experience hardship, Timothy. He's telling him, what is, the, what is the conditions of battle? They're not comfortable. Soldiers are not comfortable, right? They fight weather, weather conditions, right? They, they fight sleep, 
They fight for food. They eat canned goods, right? They get poor shelter. They're exhausted, might be dehydrated. That's not a comfortable environment when soldiers go out to battle. Their lives are at risk. That's hardship. That's hard. The picture that Paul is trying to paint to Timothy is this walk with God can be hard. It can be difficult. And you're going to go through seasons of hot and cold. And you're going to go through hard times. This ain't no easy ride, Timothy. You're in a, a battle. In fact, the NIV translation of verse 3 and 4 says, join with me in suffering. ESV says, share suffering as a good soldier. What is Paul saying? He's saying is, I'm joining you in this suffering. Remember, Paul had been to prison. He had been shipwrecked. He, he experienced a lot of different things. And he's saying, look, it, it's going to be hard. This work is going to be hard. It's going to be laborious. But Timothy, you're not alone in the hardship. You're not alone in the battle. The ministry of multiplication can be hard. And Satan will oppose your efforts. You know why? Because Satan doesn't want you to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He doesn't want you to build up the Lord's army. See, we want to build up God's servants, God's soldiers, and the enemy's going to oppose in every way possible. Have you ever thought about, man, you're going to start going to church and then there's something pops up all of a sudden that keeps you from going to church? Or you're supposed to go to a study and somebody invites you, you say, oh yeah, I come, and then all of a sudden something happens and you don't go? You don't think that's by coincidence? There's an enemy who's opposing your knowledge of the things you need to know to be a, equipped as a servant of God. He knows if you know the weapons of your warfare, you're going to be dangerous for the, for the kingdom. But some of us are ignorant of the weapons of the warfare. We don't know how to use the armor that God has given us. It says here, guys, I want to teach you how to persevere. I want to teach you how to persevere under the warfare. I want you to endure the difficulties of walking in the faith. But one who's a multiplier is courageous because he's devoted to multiplication. Some of you are afraid, Pastor, I don't know enough to do this. I don't know enough to teach. I'm afraid that I'm going to make a mistake when I share with somebody. I'm afraid that I might have, not have the answer to give. I'm afraid that they might reject me. I'm, a, I'm afraid. And fear begins to creep in when we're challenged to go out. That's a weapon of the enemy. Because the Bible says that I will give you the words you need to speak when you stand before kings and rulers. Surely God will give you words to speak when you stand before your friends and family. But you being here are being equipped to the things of God. Right? But you're devoted to multiplication. And like a soldier, you can't be enticed by the things around you. A soldier is not, is not entangled with the world affairs. He's engaged in warfare. He doesn't get off course with his mission and his purpose as a soldier. He doesn't get himself entangled or involved in civilian pursuits. In fact, the same Greek word that applies to sheep getting their wool caught in the thorn bushes. He's not getting caught in the affairs. He's not being snagged up with the things outside of his mission, right? When we're not engaging in multiplication, I believe we, we find ourselves further from the front lines and we get comfortable. And then we get this entitlement spirit. God, you owe me. 
God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't. He's given you your salvation. That's all he said. You believe on me, you shall be saved. He never promised anything after that. In fact, he said, you want to enter my kingdom? He said, it's going to be through tribulation. Right? He's talking about a warfare. He's talking about a battle. This faith walk is no easy walk. And some have fallen off. Some have become shipwrecked from the faith. We see that because they're, they're enticed by the world. The world has drawn them away from God. The Bible says in the last day there's going to be apostasy, a falling away, the scripture says. But a good soldier is not concerned about the luxuries of this world. His mission is to please God. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him, the scripture says. We talked a sermon series on pleasing God a couple weeks ago. What is it to please God? And so a multiplier is courageous to share his or her faith and the knowledge of the truth with others. Guys, in order to learn, you got to do. Guys, when you learn to ride a bike, you got on and you fell down a couple times, didn't you? You didn't just get on there. You had those training wheels and maybe you stood up. And maybe some of you might need some of those training wheels a little bit, but eventually you've got to take off the training wheels. But you might even fall in that. You might not know all the answers. You might not know I'll answer all the questions. Guys, I've been walking with the Lord almost 40 years, and some questions I said, I can't answer that. I'm going to pray about that. And it's okay to tell people, you know, I don't know the answer, but I'll get back to you about it. And that's a challenge for you to study more, to learn what the the answer to that question might be. You don't have to be perfect in it. Nobody can deny the fact that God transformed your life. That's a testimony of itself. What the Word of God has done in your life. But here's the second thing. First of all, we have to be courageous. Second thing is we have to be doctrinally sound. Look at verse 5. And also, if anyone competes in, in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Right? Ath- um, athletes or athletics was prominent that day and in that culture like it is today. Right? And Jesus is using the illustration as an athlete. An athlete must be disciplined and he must play by the rules. Right? We know that right now the Olympus is going to start and there's athletes being trained and being equipped to compete against each other. Like in the back of the days, they used to have the Olympics in these days and they would train and be equipped. But there was rules that they needed to follow or they would be disqualified. But they would work to, to win a crown. And those, in those days, to win a crown was prestigious. In those days, it was like getting paid as an athlete and they wore the victor's crown but they could forfeit it if they didn't play by the rules. See, an athlete needs to do two things this morning. He needs to do continual training as an athlete. Continual training as an athlete. An athlete needs to stay in condition and work out and stay fit in order to compete. For those that are watching the NBA finals, those athletes would say, oh, I'm the finals, I'm done working out. No, they're working out still every, every day. They're practicing every, every day. They're conditioning themselves every, every day. An athlete needs a, a coach and a trainer to, to help them progress. Guys, we are in the same ways doing the same thing as athletes. We need to continually be training, continue to be learning, continue to be growing. And maybe there's a coach that needs to come in our life. Maybe there's a trainer. Maybe there's somebody older. Maybe we need a Paul like Timothy had a Paul. We need a Paul in life to train us, to coach us in the things of faith. So we can keep growing, that we can be a a multiplier. But we know this, we have to know the rules of the sport, right? 
An athlete needs to know the rules of his sports. I was watching the, the Clippers game. And the Clippers, one of the games was down by three with only a few seconds left. Down by three. And one of the Clippers get fouled the last minute. But they're down by three. And he goes to the free throw line. So he takes a free throw shot and he makes it. Now he's down by two. But he knows he, if he makes one more shot, the other team gets the ball, they can win the game. So he says, hey, I'll miss intensely the basket, hoping that my guys would get it. We can either get a two, tie the game, or three and win the game. So what does he do? He throws the ball off the backboard, and they get it, and the officials blow the whistle. Because what he didn't know is he didn't know the rules of the game. The rules of the game says when you're under the final seconds, if you're going to intensely miss the basket, you have to touch the rim in order for it to be in play. Because he threw it off the backboard, it forfeited, it came the ball to the other team, and they lost the game. Listen, we have to know the rules of the game. We have to know the doctrines. We have to know the teachings. We have to know the scriptures in order to be the multiplier. We can't go into this without knowing what the doctrines are. That Jesus is God. That we as sinners fall short of the glory of God. That there's a, there's a God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. We have an enemy called Satan who's a fallen angel. Some doctrines, some other religions say he's, a, he's the son of Jesus. Be careful. You got to know your scriptures. You got, you got to know the word of God here. You got to know that in order to be a multiplier, you need to be training. You need to be growing. You need to know the scriptures. You need to know the law. You need to know the rules in order to share it with other people. And you need to stay fit in the work. You need to be a learner. You know the teachings. You need to know the non-negotiables of the faith. And you need to hold them and stand on them. And a multiplier won't be disqualified if he knows the rules. And the last thing that a multiplier does in his walk is he labors in the Lord. Look at 6 and 7 as we close. The hardworking farmer must first must be first to partake of the crops and consider what I say. May the Lord give you understanding in all things. Now, he first used a soldier, then he used an athlete, now he's an illustration of a farmer. A farmer is a hard worker. A farmer gets up early in the morning and cares for the crops. He, he tends for the soil. He, he keeps critters and bugs away. He, he gives his time, energy, and resources to that planting effort. That's what a farmer does. And like a farmer... A multiplier labors in the Lord's kingdom. He's a hard worker. He's a laborer. You know what? When the farmer goes out, it might be cold, but it doesn't hinder him being out in the fields. It might be snowy, but it doesn't hinder him. It might be rainy, but it doesn't hinder what he does. As a multiplier, the elements of the world doesn't hinder our work. The heat and the pressure we face in our faith doesn't phase us. It doesn't waver us in our own faith. I know we don't like the rain here. So when a little sprinkly comes, we stay home. Right? Like we don't know how to drive in the rain. A little discomfort comes here, oh, I'm going to stay home. Guys, we labor in the midst of the cold, the hardships. and We, we labor in love. But also, let me tell you something. A farmer is patient, realizing that his harvest will not come overnight, but over time. All right? It's not going to pop up overnight. His patience is an act of faith and love. 
And he's about the God's work. And he trusts the work. But he realizes the work is supernatural. He realizes the work is supernatural. 1 Corinthians 3, 5-8 says this, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, that's Paul, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he plants anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Maybe when you're sharing, you're, just, you're, you're pouring the word in the hearts of people. And then maybe you're watering the heart, that's, the seed that's already been planted. But God will be the one who harvests it. Your role is just to share. Your role is just to bless. Your role is just to be gracious. Your role as the farmer is just throwing the seed and trusting it falls on good soil. Maybe your, 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 your role after being the farmer is the one who waters. You're having conversation with somebody in the street or at your work or at your school. And you're just having a conversation about faith. Now you're watering the seed that might have already been planted before you even got them. You're just doing the work of the Lord, being faithful. But God gives the increase. Acts chapter 2, 47 says, as the church lived and served, God added to the church daily being saved. And the faithfulness, your faithfulness in being a multiplier, guys, will pay off and you will see the fruit. You will see the fruit. A faithful farmer will see the fruit as he harvests it. Galatians 6, 9 says this, so let not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. If we don't give up. And he closes with verse 7. I just use the word Selah. If you don't know what Selah is, it's in the Psalms. Selah just says, think, meditate, chew on a little. Selah this moment. That's what he's saying in verse 7. Meditate on what I just said on giving these illustrations. Meditate on these different things of what they mean so God can give you understanding. He's saying, consider these things. Meditate on these truths. We know back in Joshua 1, 8, it says, if you meditate on my word night and day, you'll be prosperous and successful. But some of you say, Pastor Pete, I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand the Bible. Be patient. Keep reading. God will give you understanding. God will give you understanding. See, Paul here, as we close, Paul has shared some hard things here. Soldier has to, be, have, to have a disciplined life. So he has to have a different disciplined life and doesn't get snared by this world. Athlete is a continued training, always being ready in season out to share his faith. And a farmer is no slouch. He is a hard worker. This is the type of a walk of a multiplier, of a disciple. Guys, my heart to you this morning as we close is that you would invest in multiplication and not addition. Pour your life into somebody. And if you, have, you don't have anybody, have somebody pour their life into you, into the things of the faith, so you can grow in the faith. Women speaking in the women's life. Men speaking in the men's life. Get connected into something in the church. Don't be out there. You're never going to grow. You're never going to grow in the faith. You'll never mature in the faith. You know the things of the faith. So here's my challenge to you this morning. A multiplier is a person of grace. A multiplier is a person of grace, strengthened by grace, and extends grace. So let me ask you this question. Who is that one person you need to extend grace to this week? Who is that one person you need to extend grace to this week? Second thing, a multiplier is a person who invests in others. 
Who is that person you need to disciple this year? This year. Who is that one you want to say, hey, man, can we just get together and talk about the Lord? Who is that person you could personally do that with? And lastly, it multiplies a person who's courageous, a learner, and a hard worker. What area in your life do you need to develop to be a multiplier? What area do you need to develop to be a multiplier this morning? Let's pray. Father Heaven, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for what you're doing here in this place, Lord. And I pray for your people, Lord, that, God, we want to be about the Father's business. We don't be fishers of men. Father, we want to be courageous. We want to know your truths. Lord, we want to be hard workers. But we know in our hard working, Lord, you strengthen us and you empower us. And so I pray for your service today that we would be strong in grace, Lord, as we serve. Be gracious to one another, understanding that we've been saved by grace. Lord, we want to be multipliers, Lord. Somebody's poured into us that we can pour into others, that they may pour into others, Lord. That is the mission of your church. That's what you called us to do, to make disciples. Not just to gather to hear a good word on Sunday and sing a song. Father, you didn't die for us just to gather and sing a song and hear a good word. You died for us to be a multipliers, to share with others about who you are. So we thank you and we praise you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.